everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of Not a Bomb. Well, not technically. We did do a prequel just to introduce ourselves, and um, let's go ahead and get introductions out of the way. So, um, sitting across the virtual theater aisle from from myself is uh, Mr. Brad. Brad, how you doing tonight? Doing fantastic, man. How are you? I am. I'm great. I'm talking to you, man. We're gonna we're gonna talk movies today, so that's always fun. Yes, it is. We're gonna talk um, Children of Men tonight. So it's going to be pretty exciting. Um, I hope you're in a good mood because we'll probably spoil it. But, you know, <laughs> spoil your mood and probably the movie. Um, Troy, I will introduce you. You are the, um, a.k.a. the nicest guy on the Internet. So you're Troy. How uh, are you, buddy? I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm not the nicest guy on the Internet. but uh, maybe, You're probably top, second... top ten. It's like, well, okay. I was going to say second place. but that's Oh, right. okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm the most humble guy. We know that. Yes, right? yes. There's nobody more humble than myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we we kind of kicked it off last week just talking about the inception of this. And um, as always, uh, if anybody uh, wants to go back and listen to the early podcast, I'm, I'm trying to dig through the closet uh, on a hard drive and, and pull all of those so that we can put them on the, uh, the Not A Bomb website. Um, but Your the, e-hoarding the inter- is amazing. It is pretty impressive for like uh, going back 10 years. I didn't know I had all that stuff. Uh, but you'll find out like the introductions are probably the hardest for us because we just get all of this crap out of the way. But when we get to the movie, we're, we're much more smooth and charismatic. So, um, Brad, let, let's, uh, let's, let's get into this. I, I've been dying um, to talk to you about this film. And the movie in question tonight is Children of Men. Um, Brad, let's just real quick, uh, for the one or two listeners that are out there that are just discovering us, uh, what, what is the concept of not a bomb? So not a bomb, um, is a podcast dedicated to we are, what we are saying, um, appreciating the underappreciated. So movies that might have been considered flops at the box office or films that when you look, um, in the lens of 2020, maybe hold up a little bit better than one when they were first uh, reviewed by critics or films. We just want to call out because they kind of get lost in the ether. So this is all about just finding films that are those gems and bringing them uh, to the forefront. Good summary, man. And, and it, and it doesn't just have to be like a financial failure, but, um, I think, uh, as we kind of said in the prequel, it's everything in the kitchen sink, right? So yeah. if, if it did moderately, okay, but it just got raked over the coals by everybody, you know what? It, it may be something that we want to talk about. And, uh, of course, you know, we're always open to suggestions on things to tackle. So if you have a, a favorite movie to champion, we'll get to that towards the end of the show, how you can get that to us so we can talk about it. But, um, first episode out of the gate, and you pick this one. Children I'm, of Men. <laughs> yes, I'm super curious as to why. Hmm. Good, good answer. That's a great yeah. answer. <laughs> I didn't want to get too political in the um, first episode, but the poignancy of this film, um, this film was released in 2006. It's probably way more um, apt today than it was um, 14 years ago. So mm-hmm. I think any film that seems to age like a fine wine, if you will, um, that gets better or gets more relevant as time goes on, 
um, I think needs to be discussed. And I know some of those topics aren't the easiest thing to talk about, but this film is not the easiest thing to watch either. So I think it kind of fits. So when this came out in 2006, did you happen to see this in the theater? I did. because So we'll get into it. But this film was released on uh, December 25th. So for anyone <laughs> internationally, that is uh, what we call in the United States is Christmas. Um, this film, I think they, from what I was reading, I think they were trying to play on the faith aspect of the movie. Like, oh, you know, people will pick up on these themes of faith in the film and to be honest with you it's really difficult to get to those just because of the kind of dystopian grayness of this movie um i I can't see why you would release this movie on christmas i i i I thought about it and thought about it i think it's the dumbest thing i think i've ever heard it's pretty bad yeah, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to kind of dive into what was going at the time. So before we get into our opinions of the film, we do kind of want to talk about the context of this release, um, what happened to it upon its release. For you, you got to experience this in the theater and obviously, you know, afterwards on, on some type of home media. For me, it was a first time watch. Um, it was one of those films. Uh, and we'll get into this, saw it, saw the trailer. And I, I do want to talk about the trailer because I went back and revisited it. And I, I remembered why I did not rush out to see this, even though I knew about the director, um, I knew about Clive Owen, but it, it's one that, um, honestly, everybody had told me to watch, uh, because it was just, um, and I think you said it in the, the prequel podcast we did. This movie kind of shows up on a lot of lists in terms of like the best um, apocalyptic films, right? Because yeah, it's, science it's in fiction. that sort of science fiction genre. Yeah. Um, but even as many people continued to tell me to watch this thing, I just avoided it. Now, in my defense, I, I did buy it on Blu-ray, but I bought it on Blu-ray like probably four years ago and it just sat there. So, um, and, and I'm pretty sure I probably would not have stuck that sucker in. Unless you were like, hey, let's do a podcast and talk about uh, talk about this film. So, um, but before we get into like your reaction and my reaction, let's talk about this thing. Now, you already um, said it was released on Christmas Day, two thousand six. Yep, with a seventy what seventy six million dollar budget, um, which in two thousand six money. I mean, it's still a lot of money. Um, its total gross at the box office was seventy million dollars, so it came. Um, under but it, it underperformed um again that's does not include advertising and things like that so this film is what you would consider a flop at the box office it lost money um, and, that, and that's 70 million worldwide so yes, what, 35 yes, 35 in the u.s yep. and 35 internationally yeah, right yeah um again we'll get into it a little bit more the difficulty with this film is is something that you just can't ignore. Um, yeah, um, it it gets released on the same day as Notes on a Scandal, so um, there really weren't any other big releases. I kind of went back and did the same thing as you did, kind of read about um, what was going on in 2006 that weekend or you know the day of release. Um, the I thought it was interesting too. I I couldn't remember like what what were the big movies of that year from a worldwide gross and um, could you did 
did you find out what the number one movie in the world was for 2006? I didn't. I should probably know it, but I... <laughs> Uh, probably no surprise. Pirates of the Caribbean: Dead Man's Chest oh. was number one. Number two was is that the, the first Vinci one? Code. I Dead Man's Chest. Um, no, Curse of the Black Pearl is first. Dead Man's Chest is the second one. Because it, then it's at it's, World's End. I, yeah, I okay. think you're right. Yeah. Um, da Vinci Code was number two. Ice Age three, Meltdown number three, Casino Royale was four. Uh, Night at the Museum was five, which came out around the end of the holiday, so it, it racked up a lot of money for just a short time period in 2006. And as you go down the list, it, it is your typical box office run. You have, um, surprisingly, X-Men Last Stand was seven. Uh, you know, Mission Oof. Impossible 3 made the top ten. It rounded out as the tenth film being Happy Feet. So um, mm. when, when you talk about the release, and when I looked at the film um, release schedule for the end of the year, I... I think they were looking at this film and and usually when you get a film that gets released towards the end of the year like this, you're either going for the box office draw, right? Because that's when a lot of people, you know, they're, you're off they're work. done with the you're off work, you're done with the family stuff, you go see a movie. Yep. Right. So yep. outside of the summer, you've got the the Christmas holiday as a huge theatrical draw. But the other type of film that usually gets pushed out um, is the Academy Award bait stuff, right? Yes. Um, and if you look at a lot of stuff that gets released at that time period, um, typically I think the schedule used to be now pre-pandemic and everything. You might do something on a limited scale, get it in a few theaters so it can qualify. If it gets good word of mouth, um, then boom, it gets a full wide release in January. Um, but they're you know trying to squeeze it in for that time frame. So like you, I'm real curious. Like I, if anybody who <laughs> was working for Universal at that time in 2006 and was responsible for the decision-making on why to release this film on Christmas Day, please email us. We'd, we'd really like to know because in hindsight and looking at the trailer, it makes no sense to us outside of you thought you had a chance at the Academy Awards. Yeah, and another thing to add is who's the big draw? Who's the big actor that you're that this film, that you're pinning the, hey, this guy is in this movie. Now, I will argue that there's like five actors that can kind of pull in a movie, but there's still multiple people that will be like hey i like that guy i might go see him like don't get me wrong i like clive owen a lot um i know he missed out on being james bond and his career is kind of fizzled here and there and he's he's had a lot of good bit parts but hey, I don't... he gave it he gave a shoot him up that was the film after this i'm i'm very excited about that one loved it um, go on yeah but like <laughs> just just but think about it though like Michael Caine, I mean, Julianne Moore. I mean, there's not a huge actor, really, to kind of say, yes, we have this difficult film, but here's this actor that you're going to want to come see. Um, now, I will argue that Clive Owen is excellent in this movie, but I, I don't think that it um, he's the guy uh, to pull in people for this movie. Yeah, and, and a director, very, very good director. Um, actually does a Harry Potter film, you know, before that. Which is a, the only a, Harry Potter film I've seen. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, yeah. I've seen them all, but I can tell you that I think that's the only one I kind of like. Um, yeah. And I'm sure we'll get a lot of hate emails for that. But uh, Actually, it's look. really popular right now to hate on Harry Potter, so maybe not. <laughs> oh, it is? Well, I yeah. don't hate it. It's well. just, it, hey, that, we're, we're, we're yeah. going off course here. But anyways, 
Um, and you know, if you if you look at his resume, even after Children of Men, Gravity, Rome, I mean, the guy is a fantastic director. Yes. Um, he's one of those. However, he's one of those directors that, after Gravity, I was pretty much like, whatever he releases, I'm seeing. Like regardless yeah. of what the topic is, what the genre is, I'm seeing it. And and what's funny you say that is even after Gravity, um, going back through his filmography, I, I would see Children of Men again. I'm like, you know, I, I got to get around to watch that because everybody says it's so good, and I love Gravity. Um, did did you have a chance to go back and look at any of the marketing? Um, for this film, I, I did look at some of like the original trailer. Yeah, I didn't watch the trailer, but I looked at some of the marketing and stuff, and I, I don't know if they understood what they had. They definitely. I'm, I'm telling you right now, if you just go back after this discussion, go watch the trailer. The trailer has just this crazy tonal shift in the middle of it. It starts out and um, it, it looks like a very good thriller. The stakes are set. And then mid-sequence of the trailer, you get this very, um, just, I, I can't even describe the music outside of, like, Steel Magnolias type music okay. that hits right in the middle of it. And it tries to play it up as this, like, feel-good, triumphant, he's going to get this baby um, to safety kind of thing. So the trailer just, it feels like it has two things going on that just totally are fighting itself in tone. And I, I guarantee, and I, I remember seeing that trailer and going, wow, that, that looks like a jumbled mess, not interested. And I'm, I'm wondering if a lot of moviegoers, you know, kind of felt the same way. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Um, and I will also say, because just to bring it up for conversation, this is based on a 1992 book. Um, it's not wholly original. Um, it is based on a book. And did you read that in the book... Um, the men actually go sterile and so it's yeah. like, and then in this movie, it's women just can't give birth. Um, so I, I, I was trying to find like the reasoning for why, uh, they made that change and I couldn't find anything about it. I mean, and I know it's really not important because at the end of the day, it's all about humanity not being able to, um, you know, birth children. Um, so I just thought it was kind of weird that they changed that for almost seemingly no reason. Um, the, you know, that's good. When, when we get into it, I, I kind of think there is a reason to do that simply because of some of the imagery okay. it's trying to sell. Um, because I, I think you hinted at it in terms of it's a it's a Christmas Day release. Um, it does have a lot of religious um, overtone to it that we can get into. Um, it's It's definitely political. I mean... Like I said, I, I was a little shocked. Uh, usually, when when we get into um, you know discussing movies and uh, you know you're kicking off a podcast, you don't you don't expect to go so deep into something like this. But uh, I, you know, I'm glad you did. Um, but I, I'm I'm really I really want to talk about this thing. So are are we ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. And I I was thinking about it. Can you really spoil this movie? Um, I. Yes, I, I think you can. I think there is one sequence, and especially if you go back and look at the trailer. Like, if you know nothing except for the initial trailer, this trailer sells something that, um, especially the relationship, that uh, doesn't pan out the way you think it does. Um, and it is a big surprise. It, it definitely, during the film, kind of kind of got me, shocked me a little bit. Um, so, just for anybody listening, 
uh, Brad and I have talked about this, you know, extensively. Do we talk spoilers? Do we dance around it? Um, we may figure it out for other films, but for this one, I, I kind of want to talk about it. Yeah. Realistically. I want to yeah. talk about everything. Yeah. I think one of our, our, our reasons for that is if we're going to champion films that maybe people missed or whatever, like spoiling, you know, big parts of it might hinder people from actually wanting to see it. But I think in this one, it's important. So yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And we'll, we'll try and, and call out some stuff, give you a little bit of forewarning, but um, if we get too, uh, you know, engrossed into our thoughts and are just going 50 miles a minute, forgive us. But um, yeah, I mean, there, we might give some spoilers away. So Brad, you, you pick a film, um, Children of Men, 2006. And it's funny because in watching it and then reading as much about it, trying to do a little, uh, a little bit of research for our discussion, um, what struck me as odd was almost every couple of years or so, you would run across an article and it would always have the same thing um, or the same theme that was, you know, why should we revisit this film now? So I'll give you an example like um, BBC 2016. So this is even four years ago. Um, there's an article out there that says why Children of Men has never been as shocking as it is now. Yeah, I read that. Um, I read that. Yeah, and and it's funny because there's several of those articles out there. There's several film critics who revisit this thing, especially when they're talking about science fiction, which I don't know if it's so much science fiction anymore, but we'll get into that. But yeah. um, it it is striking that so many people still pick on this thing and they champion it as a, hey, look at this. In 2006, somebody was talking about these things, and every year it gets a little bit closer, a little bit closer. Um, and I will say right out of the gate, this film, there are aspects of it that I I would not have been able to tell the difference between the news and what you would see on screen here. Um, because the fact that, so this film is set in 2027, so it's not a film that, um, is like way in the future where stuff looks ridiculously like futuristic. It's very, I don't know, even like some of the stuff they have, I feel like is a step back from what we have now. So it's like aesthetically, it's not so in the future that you're kind of jarred out of the atmosphere. So I a hundred percent agree. Like, there's imagery that it's just, do we want to just go ahead and... Yeah. So there's yeah. people just like round up and put in cages. And yeah. you could literally see this stuff be like run on CNN and people be like, oh my God, like, where's that? Is that here? Like you would have to actually sadly wonder if that's the case or not. And it's difficult. Um, there's even children and... Um, I mean, the opening scene also includes like suicide bombing. Um, yeah, man, it's, uh, I, I'll be honest with you. Um, I've seen this movie before. Um, I think this is, I don't know. I've seen it a handful of times. <laughs> My wife and I were even talking that when we first started dating a long time ago, we watched this together and I was like, why did we do that? <laughs> she was Good like, date movie. Huh? Yeah. And I was like, so, but she's kind of like me, you know, she likes film and, you know, she's a Harry Potter fan and blah, you know, so, you know, once she heard that this guy had a film before for Prison of Azkaban that, you know, he directed something else and it was science fiction and all that stuff, we watched it. And even talking to her, I was like, do you remember this, this and this? And she was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And it's just like, and I was like, don't you think that's like really on point now? And then so I went back and look and I guess 
um, London at the time actually was kind of going through some of this immigration stuff. The U.S. was too. Yeah, the U.S. was too. Yeah, if you look at George Bush in 2006, I mean, um, I think at the beginning of 2006, there was a huge push and there was um, some legislation out there too that was talking about, you know, um, their, their big protests and everything for just saying, hey, let's get um, the immigrants that are in the U.S. right now, you know, legalized so that, you know, it it's that whole debate. It's you, you don't want to take a population that's contributing um, to your nation and then kick them out. Uh, and just sort of have this isolationist policy, and 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 that whole issue of immigration was front and center at the beginning of 2006. So uh, it it was going on worldwide that whole topic of immigration. And just real quick, um, we're not going to get into the whole plot. I mean, it it's very simple. Uh, as you said, Brad, um, all of the women are sterile. Uh, they're the youngest person in the world. Um, at the beginning of the film is, you know, what, 18 years old? Yes. Diego. So, Diego. So uh, baby Diego, I think, mm. is the character. Yeah. Um, and through the course of the film, they find out that there is an individual who is pregnant. Um, and basically, Clive Owen is enlisted to help her get to a group of people um, that are um, scientists and are going to help kind of understand why fertility isn't an issue with this young woman. And so really the 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 main uh, body of the film is Clive Owen escorting somebody from point A to point B. Yeah, it's an escort it, mission in a video game. It, it is. It very much is. But in the context of this, in terms of issues covered, you already touched on one, and a big one, I think, right? The immigration issue. Because at that time period, just as it is today, um, it's a hot topic, right? Um, but you also, I mean, what what is... If you're going to sit down and, and watch this film, you I don't think you can look at the trailer and then kind of go, oh, I got uh, everything that was promised in the trailer. Because this thing is going to throw a ton of stuff at you in terms of issues and topics. You've got immigration, um, government propaganda is yes. touched upon, um, assisted suicide, um, and euthanasia becomes a central um, subplot. It's actually like um, marketed and, and is a nice uh, packaged product that you can buy that has infomercials. Yeah, you get um, also with the Baby Diego subplot the negative effects of celebrity status. And that's touched on in the beginning and everybody's reaction um, to that. You get uh, racism and that conversation front and center. You get um, terrorism. And what is terrorism? Because it's not very cut and dry, even within this film. You get epidemics. So we're going through that right now, you know, with COVID. But there is mention of epidemics, and, and that is, Cly you know, how Clive Owen um, loses his son, I believe. Yes, in 2008, uh, I believe they said that he died of the flu. Yeah, flu virus. Um, you also get um, a, another uh, front and center topic that's going on right now, which is um, the police state. And you get some commentary on um, really the police versus military. Um, you get social inequality and social division. And again, that conversation is just all through the entire film, either in dialogue or from the visual, uh, which are very powerful. Um, and then we also, if, if you pay close attention to the newspapers, to what's on television in the background, and, and even... When they talk about why is the world the way it is, um, climate change comes up. Yeah. So 
you have all of those topics in about a two-hour film that's released on December 25th. And um, like you said, it's an escort mission, right? All revolving, uh, revolving around just get the, the girl with, with the baby from point A to point B. It, it's amazing how much is in this thing. And none of it is like there's not this scene where there's like a character. There's not that expository scene that just kind of lays this all out. Like it's all subtle. It's all, I mean, I wouldn't say subtle. I mean, they have people in cages, so it's not exactly subtle, but you know, there's no, the Michael Caine character doesn't just lay out everything to Clive Owen. Um, and I think that is because you can kind of watch this film. And if you just watch it as is, you might ignore certain things if you want to. I don't know if you would want to or not because you're watching this film. But, you know, some of the stuff is kind of background. Like you said, the Diego stuff, you know, Clive Owen is kind of dismissive of him and why everyone's so sad about it. <clears throat> and I think that's just kind of like him just being like, okay, like, and I, and I kind of thought about this too. It's like, okay, Diego was the youngest person in the world. So isn't there when he dies? Isn't there someone else who's the youngest person in the world? Yeah, and they, they mention it. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's you know now it's eighteen years and four or five months. Yeah, so yeah. you know the next younger person is now the the hottest celebrity by just a couple of months by default. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I I just like when films treat the viewer like they know how to watch a movie and they know how to pay attention and they know how to put kind of pieces together. And there not everything has to be here's what's going on, here's why. Like, they never explain why uh, fertility is such an issue. Um, you can kind of maybe put it together that maybe climate change has something to do with it. Yeah. Um, but it's never really laid out. And and I think it that helps this film in a lot of ways to just kind of let you soak all this stuff in um, as hard as well, it is. Okay, go let ahead. Let me ask you something. Yeah. So, okay, you, you say it helps, right? Yeah. So my question is, because uh, we talk about why this thing was not successful. Because even from an awards standpoint, it was nominated for what? Adapted screenplay, cinematography. We'll yeah. talk about, you know, cinematography and some sequences. Extremely impressive. Yes. But you say that having all of this stuff crammed in these two hours and not being spelled out for you. Um, there is a lot of different layers here. Is it, is it successful at, um, creating a world that you can get into or is it have so much into it that your average viewer is going to look at this and go, um, I, I just, I can't get into this because it's just too much. Is, is it too scattered shot? Because if you sit back and look at all of the things that are going on in the background, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it has a basic story, but even that story has so many different layers to it, and there's so much going on. Um, is is it too much? Yes. Easily, yes. I mean, it, it it's dense is a understatement. Um, it's hard to cut this thing into, like, nice little pieces and say... I know it's hard because like we haven't even mentioned like there's like this other group of people trying to get key as well. And there's like these mm-hmm. different subplots and, and B plots and C plots. And 
even that is like, I don't know. I just feel like this movie should have been like four hours long to kind of get <laughs> it, it what it what it really needs. Um, and I appreciate well, from, that it's from not. From a topic standpoint. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so a lot of things I feel some of the topics are just rushed by. Um, but I guess that's not really the point of the movie, is it? I mean, I, I know it's like everything in the world is broken, and that's <laughs> kind of the kind of what's going on in the in 2027. But I I don't know if that for me takes away from my appreciation of the world building. Um. Because, you know, maybe next time I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to try to figure out, you know, what are they saying on climate change or what are they saying on, uh, you know, police states and what are they saying on, you know, government propaganda? I think you could always kind of go back and and look at it's kind of like when you like when you know a twist in a movie and then you watch it the second time, you're like, okay, I'm going to look for all the clues that that they're telling me that the the twist is coming because they're telegraphing it um, and kind of get a, a greater appreciation of kind of how it all comes together and how well the twist comes. So I think when you can have these topics um, kind of just kind of laid out in the way they are, I, I, I kind of like that they're not, um, not all explained and they're not all really well done um, because I think, you can kind of go back and now, am I going to go back and watch this movie in a week? No, I, it, it's going to be a little while before I go back and watch this. But again, to your original question, I think for the average person who just wants to watch a movie and, and, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's not a Saturday afternoon throw. It is on, not. And especially, na- especially, it, especially <laughs> now, because a lot of times people use films as escapism. Um, sure. This yeah. film is not escapism because it's it's really saying it's holding a mirror up to 2020 and saying, look at yourselves. Yeah, and it and it it is a very powerful examination of what at that time was. Hey, folks, we're on the verge of these things becoming a reality, and like you said, if you look at 2020 now. There are way too many things in this thing um, that look uh, like things that we have seen within, you know, um, the news. Um, and, and I do understand why this gets so much attention every year when somebody says, hey, revisit this film. Look at what's going on in the news. Look at what was happening uh, within Children of Men. I, I do think it's a tough sit through. Um, it's not. And, and let me preface that by you have to be in the right state of mind, I think, to tackle this thing. You now you, you can enjoy it for its technical aspect because there are some fantastic single take shots or you know I would say fake single take um, that are occurring within this. Yeah. Um, and there's some fantastic imagery, but uh, what's amazing is the the world building is excellent. But um, I think I I do think that when it's at its simple storytelling best. And it's concentrating on one of those threads is really when it's just pure excellence. Um, when it is throwing everything in the kitchen sink within a scene, I think it's hard to get through a little bit. Okay. I, I can see that. Um, do you feel like 
I'm trying to think of a scene where it's just too much. Um, uh, Clive Owen's kidnapping scene where they have him kind of in the, I call it the newspaper room. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And they're kind of going back and forth and Julianne Moore, which, okay, this really bothered me. I hate it when characters, her name in real life is Julianne Moore. Her mm-hmm. character's name is Julian. I it just, yeah. I can't, you can't do that. You can't do it. Her name well, is now Sarah. Like, come yeah, on. That's, that's a good scene because it, it kind of happens at the beginning. Um, you, you get to understand him as a character right at the beginning. He's, he's very just disinterested in what's going on in the world, obviously because of what happened in his personal life. Um, but you know, he even uses the whole, uh, baby Diego thing got me upset. So I got to take off of work and he just, you know, goes and, you know, gets high with Michael Caine. Yeah. Um, and you can tell he is just, he's not plugged into the world anymore. Like, uh, he used to be an activist. Um, you can tell just from, you know, the side conversations he has with other characters. He was very much involved. He was, he was, you know, just living things to the fullest. Obviously the loss of a child and and what was going on in the world. He's probably like what most of us are. Sometimes when we look at the news and we just go, man, I can't take it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You, You just, you, like you said, escapism, but you get all of that information, then you get um, Julian Moore showing up, then you are getting sort of like, well, here's what's going on, and we need you to do X, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, it, it rushes through in the beginning, and again, I think you have to be able to take a step back for a second, and it. what I love now um, is you can pause it and even rewind it and go, did I miss something? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the great thing about this film, and I'd, I'd be the first to say I'm going to go back and watch it again. Um, I do really like the film. But, man, it's, it is amazing. Like, I understand why it didn't do well. Because I think you throw this into the general populace and you look at that first 30 minutes setup and everything that's going on. Um, and all those topics are right there. Um, I think a lot of people would be, like, just overwhelmed. Yeah. And, and, and... <laughs> From a storytelling. We hear this all the time, but like keep politics out of my sports. This is keep politics out of my movie. And I mean, most people, I I would be safe to say that they just want to go and they want to see Optimus Prime fight another, you know, they want to fight the Decepticons or they want to see The Rock do something funny and pick somebody up and slam them through a wall or something or see, you know, it's they want to see that popcorn stuff. Uh, this is not popcorn stuff. Um, I, I think it tries a little bit. I, I, you know, you, you there, bring up a there's good some, thing like there's some action and it's yeah, but it's you know, and we'll get into it. Like, I'm a sucker for single shot stuff. Like, I think, and I know they kind of fake it a little bit here and there, and and um, but the sequence with the car chase, I think, is one of the most exhilarating scenes I I've seen in a long time. Um, I mean, it is just—I don't know—it's perfect. Like in execution, I just—I'm thrilled every time I see it. In—it's—it's it's the blueprint for films that are are happening now. Like, uh, was it Extraction with uh, yeah. Hemsworth? Yeah. The, so like the you, yeah. Yeah, you can tell. 2006, he does it in such a way that I think a lot of movies try to um, copy that. Uh, and like you said, there, there's some sequences even towards the end when you get into sort of the, the final showdown um, between what is considered the police state and a terrorist organization and Clive Owen key are kind of trapped in between it. Yeah. It, it They're is. the fishes, right? So, yes. Okay. It's extremely impressive how they shoot that. 
um, and there's some powerful imagery and scenery um, that happen, you know, towards the end there. Um, but again, it's uh, here's here's where I think a lot of films. I'm trying to think of something recently. Ni- 1917. Yes. I think was you know the the big film that came out. It's supposedly one you know one single shot. You know they yeah, they fake it. So yeah, I think um, there's a movie called Silent House that came out a few years ago. I want to say that was uh, Elizabeth uh, Olsen. I think she started in that movie, mm-hmm. and it was like a you know a house, but single shot. Again, you tell me a movie is a single shot, or there's a excellent single shot sequence in it, and there's long takes. Like I'm in. Like I, I love a good <laughs> I love a good you know three or four minute take. I don't know why. Yeah. I just think it's. It's, it's technically impressive. Yeah, yeah, and, and and it keeps you in the in the scene. Yeah, and, and I think it's if you're gonna build tension and stuff, like the longer a scene goes, it just becomes uncomfortable because you can kind of feel something going on that doesn't feel right. Because when you're watching something, you you feel like oh, it should cut away, it should do this, it should do that, and when it doesn't, it starts to ratchet up the tension. Um, yeah. Well, and, and my my point is, like, in a comparison to 1917, like, what I feel films try and do now is, if, if you look at the commerce of Hollywood, um, and I could be total, you could just totally tell me I'm crazy. Anybody who's listening to this can tell me I'm crazy, because I probably am. But there seemed a time period when you very much had the popcorn film and you had the Academy Award bait, right? And you get films like 1917 that come out now, and it is a mishmash of spectacle with um, a political narrative to a certain degree, um, and and I, I I actually like my my movies kind of littered with politics um, when I'm in the mood for that. Now don't get me wrong, I I will love watching Jackie Chan kick somebody in the face, you know, every day of the week. Um, but I have if you give me a good film, it's very dense. Like Manchurian Candidate is one of my favorite films of all time. Michael Clayton, I l- love Michael Clayton. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I love that kind of film. But I feel like Hollywood right now is, especially at at that kind of Christmas season, is going after that spectacle mixed with some type of universal um, message about humanity and everything else and, and tries to take the Academy, what used to be the quite Academy Award film, um, that might have been very heady, and uh, mishmash it with um, some spectacle, right? And I think Children of Men is one of those that tries to do it. And if you look at the action scenes within it, it's really good. Um, And you look at all of the things that are going on from the politics of this film, it's freaking fantastic. Um, But I can totally understand why somebody would look at that and say, if, if if it's not done right for that time period, that it might be a box office failure. It, and this one is certainly one of those that, from a spectacle standpoint, it didn't draw the crowds in. From an Academy Awards standpoint, it didn't get all the awards. It got a lot of critical acclaim, but it didn't take home any of the gold, right? Yeah. The Oscar statue. Yeah. So um, some might say for that time period in 2006, it, it didn't take the spectacle and it didn't take you know the, the dramatic political film and do a very good job of, of you know, putting them together uh, to to put itself at the at the top of those type of films. And to your point, maybe it tried to do too much of the political stuff. Maybe if it just focused on immigration and the police state, you know, maybe if it honed in on two or three, maybe it does better. 
I don't know. I don't. I yeah. I don't know. I I can say this like from a personal taste, I like it the way it is. And I and to to your point earlier, I like the fact that I can revisit this thing, dissect it, and take so many things out of it. Um, and I still have tons of questions about it too. Um, but I would also say that you know it's one of those that if somebody came to me and said, "Hey, Children of Men," I I really didn't get into it as much as what everybody else says. I could also see that argument. Oh, too. 100%. If someone said, hey, I watched Children of Men and I hated it, I don't know if I would agree with it, but I could see why. Yeah. It's just about because it, it, you, you got to be ready for it. You got to you got to be able to appreciate that. Yeah, you're going to you're going to get some good action because it's in there. Um, it, it's thrilling. But you also have to get through a lot of information and like you said earlier, it's not going to be handed to you on a silver plate. You have to figure it out. You have to pay attention. I mean, this is not one you can nap through on a Saturday afternoon. If you fall asleep for 10 minutes at any point in this film, there's a good chance you're lost. Yeah, I, I, so, I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt, but I, that's, <laughs> that you brought something up and I wanted to bring up. So I've seen this movie before. I looked at it my phone for a second and something happened. And I was like, oh, wait, like I have to pay attention. So I had to like, you know, go back and, and rewind. I'm like, okay, watch what you're doing. Like. You know, it's only natural sometimes to like go for your phone, but in this one, like I literally missed like a, a critical point because I looked down for like maybe 30 seconds, and then I'm like, okay, I gotta pay attention. So yeah, I just wanted to elaborate on your point because it happened to me, and I was like, oh crap, Troy's gonna be mad if yeah, I missed this. You've seen it before. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no. I mean, I'd, <laughs> there there were a couple of things that as soon as it was over, um, I had to go back and and watch a scene or two because. Um, same kind of thing. I'm, I'm looking at something going on in the background or I'm trying to pay attention to, um, something other than what was going on from a plot perspective. And I would catch up with it a little bit later, but this was definitely a film. I can't wait to go revisit and see what I missed because especially reading about it afterwards, I'm like, Oh wow, I, I didn't even recognize, you know, the importance of that statue in the background. Yeah, yeah, um, there's a, yeah. And I you know, again, in my dumb brain, I don't even pick up on some of that stuff, so but <laughs> I and let me see in this I was thinking about this today cuz I was like, what am I going to ask Troy to the, but did you notice how many scenes Clive Owen is not in this movie? I feel I feel like he's in every He's scene. in every scene. And I I think that is because like, I said I think they said they were trying to make it like a shot like a documentary style around him, mm-hmm. and I think that makes perfect sense. Like the camera is always kind of in close on what he is doing, and everyone else just kind of seems like periphery. And obviously he's a central character, but I, I think that is like one of the first times of a film I've seen where the lead character is never really out of your sight. Um, yeah, I mean, I, he's the he's the central focus of everything. Yeah, and I don't know. Again, I'm trying to think of other movies that do that. I'm sure there are, but I thought about that. I was like, why, why do they never kind of break from him? I know he's the central character, but what choice were were they saying like, no, he is never going to be off screen. The audience will never say, hey, where's Clive Owen? Like, do you? Would you say – I don't know. I, I, I would look at it this way. So if you are following the central character and you only see the things that Clive Owen is seeing, seeing. and you're only experiencing from a scene perspective the things that, he are in, that he's in, 
then then nothing is really is black and white, right? You you only have the information that he has. Yeah, yeah. And and I do think that is very immersive because if you think about like traditional film, you follow one particular character and he gets X amount of information, but you cut to a scene and you go to you know another group of people, you get more information about the story or plot, but you as a viewer kind of sit above everything and know more than anybody else going in the film traditionally, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. This, this is one of those that it's not just the camera work that is so immersive, but the way they tell the story, you're, you're constantly seeing things through his eyes. And, and, you know, a great point is you go through the film and here's where we're going to get into spoilers right now. So if you don't, if you don't want to hear some of these big spoilers, stop, maybe go ahead five, 10 minutes, whatever it is. But when, when they do uh, the sequence with the car, Julian Moore dies. So you have this, you know, seemingly one one shot take where they're trying to escape. They get to the farmhouse, everything else, and you discover, or Clive Owen discovers, that um the people that he thought were there to help were actually the ones that were responsible for killing Julian Moore. And that um the next day they're gonna kill him and they're gonna use the baby. Um and he is as sort of like um Something that forwards their political agenda, more or less. That is something that you discover at the same time that he does. Yeah. Um, it kind of blew me away in the simple fact of not just the revelation itself, but the choice to then kind of go. You thought in the beginning you knew that there was good guys, bad guys. The government is this way. Government's bad. The government was responsible for the bomb that happened at the beginning, according to them. They're bombing their own people to keep people, you know, in fear. Um, and you see the fishes as a way for, you know, to fight the state, right? The rebellion portion of it. But then when you hear what is happening behind the scenes with the rebellion, you as a viewer, as much as this character that Clive Owen is playing, you have no idea who to trust. And the only thing that you can think of is to grab her and get her to safety because that's what you promised your now, you know, dead Julian Moore. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I think that's fantastic how they pull that out. And and to me, it's, it, it's just storytelling you don't see today. Yeah, and, and I like how he immediately snaps into kind of hero mode. There's yeah. not a scene where he has to be kind of like, no, you have to do this because of this, 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 and this. No. As soon as like it hits the fan, he turns into like, no, I'm going to protect key with all that I have. And that's it. And to me, it makes it so much easier for the second half of the film to root for Clive Owen because he's in no matter what. Yeah, and, and his transformation of Theo from somebody who is just um, disenchanted with the world, has just kind of checked out of it to where he ends up. I mean, you cannot tell me that Clive Owen doesn't deliver one of his best performances in that role. And I think it's so good because it really makes you relate to him. And, um, you know, the other thing I, I didn't even think about was he, he never picks up a gun, never pulls a trigger. He's always reacting to the scenario. Um and it's it's fascinating the journey he takes, but um, to your point, he never leaves the scene. So you're with him every step of the way. You know as much as him. Um, you get to react to the scene along with him, and and I think that's that's just smart filmmaking, man. Yeah, and I I will comment on there are a lot of times where in, in every kind of good movie, there's always these moments of quiet, 
and I think that's where a lot of times it shines with him and Key. Um, and I even kind of like they play on because immediately you know Key is pregnant, and you're thinking, okay, in a normal Hollywood movie, and they're trying to kind of make it into some you know bigger thing, she's gonna say like. I don't know who the father is or there's not a father (laughs) and she says it. And then she says, no, I don't know who it is. It could be a numerous, like a numerous amount of people. And I thought that was great because it was like, A, it kind of took some of the levity out of like, because I knew for a fact that when I originally saw this movie, that it was just going to be something super stupid that they were going to be like, oh no, this baby is going to, you know, has no father. It's going to be the second coming and it's going to bring everything back to normal and everything's going to be great. So it, it feels like that because even when she reveals it, you know, she's in a, she's in a barn. Yeah, exactly. The imagery it, it is like whole, all, yeah. and spoiler alert, it doesn't like she has a baby <laughs> and you know, there's a brief moment where people kind of stop and look at this baby. And again, the shootout scene in the kind of apartment complex mm-hmm. um, is some of the best filmmaking I've ever seen in my entire life. There's these long hallways and, and the, the military's outside and they're shooting up and, you know, it's dilapidated and stuff. But there's moments where the baby starts crying and people just stop and they start looking Everybody at the stops. baby. Yeah. And they start touching and it's like this really powerful moment. And literally, someone sh- fires a gun down at the police again, and all hell breaks loose again. So, like, there's this moment where you're thinking, oh, maybe this baby is going to unite the world. It's going to be this figure that's going to bring everybody back together, and it doesn't. It literally just kind yeah. of starts things back over again. And then, like, they're out, and they see that there's planes go by, and they kind of bomb themselves again. So it's like this history just keeps repeating. The world's not bad because of, because there's not new babies. It's the people who make up this world are bad. I, and I, I, so I, ha- I wrote some questions down cause I am for you cause I wanted your interpretation. Okay. So you bring up that scene. One of the questions I had, so I think everything in this film is extremely intentional. Like there is a message behind every scene, behind every choice, et cetera. So you talk about this scene where um, they are in the middle of this very hectic firefight. All of a sudden, everybody stops because they recognize there's a baby. Nobody has seen a baby for 18, 19 years, right? Walking down, everybody has pretty much just stopped. And he is walking through pretty much both sides, which were at, you know, just seconds ago trying to kill each other. Then what starts the violence back up again is not the military or the police, but it's the fishes, right? Which are the rebels. Yeah. Why wasn't it the military or police that started back up? Because if if you're a director and you're trying to critique maybe the military state, right? Um, or what's going on with, you know, the overreaction of the police state, whatever it is. It seems to me that there was a deliberate choice to kind of say... There is peace, tranquility, <laughs> everything stops when they see a baby, but the person to fire the next shot is not the police or the military that were trying to, you know, crush this rebellion, but it's the rebellion that started to back up again. Why, why, why do that? 
what if they don't have a plan for success? You know, sometimes people only know how to create more drama. You know, you know, those people that are just like they thrive off of. So I think the fishes are, we have to have this conflict or we don't have a reason to exist. I I don't know. I mean, again, I, I question it because I would love to sit down um, with everybody who was, was talking and, and writing this film you know, because it, it wasn't just Alfonso, you know, there, it was him and others, but I would, I would, it seems to me that there was a conscious choice and they're trying to say something, but it's not, it's not like uh, black and white. Right. Um, and that's what I love about this film is well, you would, expect, it hardly ever is. Yeah. You would expect it's like, well, if I want to hammer the, the message down, it's that, you know, if you take this military who is trying to kind of um, oppress society and everything else and, and keep everybody at bay, promote the propaganda, et cetera. When this chance for peace happens with the birth of this child, it's not them that starts it back up because that's how they can exist. It's, it's this rebellious side. So I feel like there's a message there. Um, and, and it's not, it's not like a pro military pro police state or anything else of that nature. But I, I'm wondering after like six or seven more watches <laughs> through the film, <laughs> Well, I get it and go, oh, that scene makes more sense. Like, I understand why the writer, director, everybody said, hey, if we're going to talk about, to your point, this one child isn't going to solve, you know, the world's problems. Um, I'm trying to say this about our own humanity. Was it deliberate that one side fires the first shot over another? I don't know. But again, I, I would chalk it up into... Hey, that that makes it great for me as a viewer to go back and watch it again and try and dissect it. Yeah, I agree. I, I you know, I said it earlier that I've seen this movie multiple times. I think, it, you know, I watch it maybe every five or six years, you know, and, and I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to jump back on um, to see this again anytime soon. But a part of me almost wanted to go back and watch certain stuff again just because. There is so much, and I feel like I'm a little smarter now than I was back in 2006. Um, so now I, I, I'm more able to let myself kind of be – let someone's opinion kind of come upon me without me just mm-hmm. completely throwing it out. Um, so I'm, I'm, I am excited to go back and watch this again. I think would – I just I, I have a really hard time because this nothing in this movie besides the birth of the baby, which ends up kind of being moot at the end because it really it's just the birth of a child. Nothing good happens in this movie. Well, I, I so another question I have: Why do all the animals like Theo? Like that, that 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 has to have a meaning. And and the the scene that struck like when I when I figured it out was when they're having the discussion with the fishes. Theo's off to the side. You know, does the whole thing like, hey, we should tell everybody. And they're like, no, 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 we can't do that. And you have this kitten who's clawing at his leg. Um, and then I'm thinking about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, the dog's like yeah, him. The, dog, the guy yeah. makes the comment of yeah. it. I mean, anytime there's an animal, it just like loves Theo. Like what? I, that has to be some type of religious allegory is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes people always say like animals just know good people. You know, have you ever heard like, yeah, oh, people yeah. just like, hey, you know, my dog always likes you and you must be a good person because, you know, animals just have this sixth sense about them. I think maybe that's, you know, that could be it or or you. I mean, I, I don't 
I wish I knew. I wish I, I'm Catholic, so I don't know the Bible all that great. Uh, so uh, I, I, I feel like um, the people. It, this sounds probably stupid, but hey, you know what? Just put I, it I've out said there. stupider things, right? Yeah. So I, I feel like everybody is so desperate to cling on to life, but they're not honest about it. Like all of the other characters, um, they're looking at what's going on in the world and they see it as more political or they see it as more agenda driven. Um, but that cat thing clawing at his leg and how the dogs were trying to me, it feels like, um, the animals are clinging to him and, and asking for help because to them it's about survival. Like we as people are just too dumb to understand that put all everything else aside, what's going on in that world with the fertility and everything else. It's all about the survival of the species, like the whole extinction, um, and you you break it down to its most animalistic in, uh, instincts, and that's what the animals are responding to, and they recognize him as something that can possibly save everybody. Yeah, well, um, and and it's it's like the purest, like, hey, it's all about survival versus everybody else's intention is something else. Yeah, I mean, look how not inept, but his how unwilling he is to kill another human being. Yeah, yeah. Even in the face of what all that's going on, you know, so maybe, yeah, I, I think that's a good point. So my other question, this, this is the big one. Oh, or, or do we have other things to, to talk no, about? No, no, go ahead. Cause I know. Okay. Okay. So, um, you get to the end of the film, they're in a boat. you you, you talk about, they're watching the planes go through, they're bombing the city that they were just in. Mm-hmm. Um, they're waiting for the, and I can't, I my notes the project human or uh, the human project the human project right so they're waiting for the boat to there to be there clive owen the boat's called tomorrow um, yep uh <laughs> right boat's called tomorrow um it's loaded with a bunch of scientists who they're going to um, be a safe haven for key and her new baby clive owen's bleeding to death his his sort of last thing is teaching her how to sort of pat the baby on the back mm-hmm. and he's just sitting across from her dies fog's there Boat shows up tomorrow. Film ends. Is is this? Does this film have a happy ending? You know, I read it this time, and and I don't know if I misread it, but to me, it it never seems like the boat tomorrow sees key at all. <laughs> because they're like <laughs> That's depressing. They're kind of pointing out into the like further down, and I don't know if maybe I was just looking for this, but it's to me it looked like they don't even see her. Um, and that to me is like even more so crushing. It's like, oh, they made it all this way and they're literally 50 yards from this boat and it's so foggy that they don't even see her and they just keep going. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, as soon as the film ends, I can't say I was relieved. I can't say I was, um, like sad, like, oh my God, that was such a depressing and it just hit me with such a I don't know. But even if so, say say the boat comes and gets her. Basically, the only thing they know about the human project is from what they've heard from other people who have heard from other people. It's the big giant telephone game. So they have no idea if the human project is actually what they say they are. Yeah, they it, just, it could be another organization like the Fishes yeah. that as soon as they discover this, they go, hey, look, it's it's something else to, to you know prop up our agenda. 
and they end up using this particular um, person uh, and and really the information that she provides um, for something that's much more nefarious, yeah. right? Yep. You you don't know, but that that they could again, be a big pharmaceutical company. You know, they could throw in. You know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you could. It could just be like, hey. You know, now we've got this medicine that we can make money off of. I mean, capitalism really isn't you know, huge in this movie, but may you know, Children of Men too, the search for more money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I, I I I was hoping at the end to kind of uh, and and my God, if you look at that, uh, you've got to look at that trailer after we're done here. Yeah, I'm going to go look at that first trailer. And when you see the end of it, you you really feel like it is just this inspirational. We're we're gonna save the human race, etc. Um, and when you get to the end of this film, and and I'd be curious like to what other people's interpretation of this is as well. Um, I, I don't get the warm and fuzzies. I I don't get soul crushingly depressed, but I kind of leave with a I don't I don't. I don't think she's okay. Well, but, why? why but I, I, mean, I don't know. After the forty-hour and forty-five-minute film you just saw, why would you feel like everything is going to be okay? I don't know if you, the film has taught you not to do that. That's a good point. I mean, if you if you take everything in context that has happened before it, um, and especially like you said, the fact you're you're following it from Theo's perspective, but I, I feel but, like Theo by the end of the film has become just has faith again, right? So in the beginning, he lacks it. At the end of it, he gains it, and he dies. And I, I think he dies a happy man, knowing that he accomplished something. Um, but it's the stuff after his death. And like you said, the fog. I never picked up on they might be not pointing at her and might not see her. I mean, that's good. I want to go back and look at that now. But um, just after his death, and, and you see this guy who, who gained this faith, and she's left alone, and the boat shows up. I, I just can't. I, I can't think that like things are gonna be okay. Yeah. I just can't. So, um, what else to say about this thing? Would you? Is this rightfully a flop or not? Does this film deserve its flop status? Um, I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I would say this. They got at, at awesome. The con- oh, I'm sorry. You go ahead. Oh no no. I, I was just gonna say this. When I when I look at it in the context of when it was released, what it was trying to do, how it was even marketed, right? It does not surprise me that this did not make its money back. Um, it does not surprise me that so many critics and so many people, when they discover it, love it and watch it again and love to dissect it. Um, but I definitely see this as okay. This is not a, a mass audience film, right? This is this is not the one you're. I I think this is this is disappointing. Um, but this is one of those films that it ends up on the Criterion Collection, and 20 or 30 years from now, people are gonna discover it. But it's gonna be the film nerds. It's gonna it's not gonna be um, the critical mass everybody goes back and thinks about. I agree. I, they got every business decision about this movie, not just wrong, but completely wrong. Um, and it's sad that $76 million to make this movie and they lost money. I think, I think now, um, we, we kind of see this happening more so now than even in 2006, kind of the, either your film costs $5 million or your film costs $300 million. Kind of that 
consider like a B level movie almost like that, you know, your 25 to $75 million films just kind of don't happen anymore. Cause you're either mm-hmm. going to go for a blockbuster or you're going to try to, you know, do like a, a Blumhouse sort of deal where you're making it cheap and hoping that it catches on. And this film is right in that $75 million. And, you know, if you don't hit it correctly and it, you know, and again, there's just no one that's like a huge star in this movie. I and I understand that doesn't mean that they're not good actors in this movie, but Clive Owen is not someone who is going to draw in a ton of people. Um, Julianne Moore is a great actress. She's yeah, great at almost everything she does. Uh, Michael Caine. I mean, there's so many people in this movie, but I don't know if any of them are marquee actors um, as much as I hate to say. And that's not like saying that they're not great, but I don't know who you're marketing this film on. Um, Obviously it's Clive Owen because he's a central character, but I I think, and again, you know, obviously if you put Leonardo DiCaprio in this, maybe it makes more money. Um, But then again, your budget is, you know, double. So, right. Well, um, and I, I, I worry like <laughs> this is a great film to start a podcast uh, series about, you know, um, titled not a bomb because the whole idea is to, to champion something that is a little bit underappreciated. And I would say this, it's not underappreciated from a critical level because like you said, it shows up on every one of these lists. Right. And if you go back and look at reviews and everything else, the, the people, um, who discover it and watch it, who love film. Uh, end up loving this film. But I I do kind of worry 10 years from now, um, this thing just kind of loses um, a lot of popularity. And I don't even think it's that popular today. Uh, it's one of those films that I don't think people think about, um, think to go back and revisit on a regular basis unless an article pops up and says, hey, go look at this movie. And our world is coming you know, pretty darn close to being <laughs> what you're seeing in this. Yeah. And and I think people treat it um, from an oddity of saying, well, go back and look at this film in 2006 and look at what's happening in 2020 and do a comparison, right? Oh, did you see what happened with uh, that particular scene or that particular scenario? Well, I just saw that on the news, right? Um, and I think that's how this film is treated. A lot of people look at it and it comes back from a comparison of go look at what they predicted in 2006 and look how look how close they got it when you look at that 2020 um, but I think people should go back and look at it from a storytelling perspective. Um, I'm sure that the 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 action scene and the one shot take and everything looks a little uh, old school now compared to what you're seeing on Netflix with the action films and everything that's going on right now. But I still think it's one of those films you got to champion and go back and visit. And it's a good one to go back and dissect because there's so much to get out of this. Um, and it, I don't know, like I said, it, it has a lot to say. And it it does it so well. I, I agree. I I love this movie. Um, going back to it was again, it's not an easy movie to watch, but it it for an hour and forty five minutes it goes and it goes, um, and it again doesn't have the greatest kind of ending. And I just think the craft that it takes to make a movie like this, um, even if you're just watching it surface level, 
as someone you're watching a director put together a masterpiece of how to direct a film correctly, even if you're just watching it on that alone, watch it because yeah. it's a master class of, you know, they should probably teach some of this stuff in, you know, UCLA. They should make like, hey, direct a, direct a scene like this. This is how it's supposed to be done. I mean, it's master class. Well, and, and here's how here's how you write a screenplay and put a lot of information in it. And um, it, you feel like the customer, <laughs> the customer, feel like the viewer um, has to invest in it um, and you know, it, it's so immersive. Like the screenplay, I think, is so immersive just in how it describes not just the world, but in how the scenario plays out as well. You watched this last week, right? Yeah. And you probably thought about it every day since? I will say this. I have intentionally gone out to read something about it every day. Yeah. So either in the context of one of those articles that says, hey, look at this film in comparison to what goes on today, which, you know, after the first two or three I start to kind of think, man, I, I don't think I don't think these people get it. Um, and I've probably gained more wisdom about the film by actually reading a lot of the the critical response to it. Um, so I I can't say it's ahead of its time. I can't say uh, it it just was misunderstood or anything of that nature when it came out. Um, but you know, I I do worry that when you go back and look at the director, you look at the cast, or even you look at, you know, the films of 2006, I, this one is just going to fall to the wayside um, without enough people just kind of understanding that it's more than just a comparison or a predictive tool to kind of go, this is what was going to happen in 14 or 20 years. Um, but there's some really damn good storytelling in here um, and some, some just fantastic cinematography that you can just appreciate over and over. Yeah, and... and- Let's not sell the performances short. Like there is performances in this film that are. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. I, I know I said that you know, Clive Owen isn't like a huge draw, but I, I think he is. You're watching this film, and I don't know who else could have done what he does in this movie. In, to it's mind blowing how good it is. And yeah, so I, I agree. And I think every performance, you know, we haven't even. Twiddly Geofor is in this movie. We didn't even mention him. And, <laughs> yeah. like, that's just like, oh, there's a, that guy and that guy. It's just so good. Like, top to bottom, so good. Um, and I wonder, like, on set, if it was just kind of, if you could feel, like, the greatness of kind of it all coming together. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, would, I would be curious. Like, I would, I would love to see this one get picked up by, you know, a, a boutique release like Criterion or something and just do an entire deep dive on everything around this. Um, what led up to it? Uh, what, what, like you said, what, what was it like on set? Um, what kind of discussions was happening? Um, what did they diverge from the script at any point just because of something uh, that happened in the scene that played out a little bit better? Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I would love more stuff on this thing. But I think we so, both say people should watch this movie for sure, right? Yeah, I was I was yeah. gonna ask you. So we're we're in agreement. It's it's not a bomb. No, right? it's definitely not a bomb. Definitely <laughs> not a bomb. Uh, you know, I, I I wasn't worried that you weren't gonna like it. Um, it's just a hard one to kind of figure out where people's head is when they watch it. I think that's kind of the big thing. It's like are you fed up with what are you seeing on TV every day in real life? Or 
are you ready to kind of put yourself in this other reality um, and, and be told a fantastic story? Um, so I wasn't worried, but I was hoping that, you know, you could be in the right head for it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I loved it. I, my favorite quote and all the things I read about it was, um, from Alfonso and he says, rule one in the film is recognizability. We didn't want to do Blade Runner. Actually, we talked about being the anti-Blade Runner in the sense of how we were approaching reality. That was difficult for the art department because I would say, I don't want inventiveness I want references to real life. What I find fascinating about that is (laughs) he's saying that and he's basically saying that the references to real life become more and more real every year we go on anymore. (laughs) Crazy, man. All right. Well, man, what a, what a way to come out swinging. I know. I know. (laughs) No, I hope so. So, um, (laughs) do we just walk off after this one? Do you just see like, all right, well, we did it. No, it was good. No. I mean, I, I, I got to tell you, it was uh, it it is so much fun um, to sit down and talk to you about films like this, and even going back and you and I have uh, kind of said off the air too, uh, looking at all the films that we did do when we were doing movie matchup, the pretension, it it was kind of funny to look at some of the films we talked about, like Night of the Hunter or Blues Brothers, Commitments, um, Nosferatu. We're just all over the place. I mean, heck, there's an episode I think out there on. Halloween 2 and Ringu 2, which I, I think we're, I, we have to go back and listen to that because I, I can't remember why yeah. I did that. Yeah. Um, but it was, man, it's it's awesome to just sit down and talk to to you about a film like this. Yeah, I agree. I, I it, 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 it also helps to kind of make yourself watch something um, and kind of really give yourself to a movie. Um Sometimes watching a film can be so passive, but I, I like kind of giving myself over to to a movie and just letting it tell me its story and yeah, 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 and then dissecting it, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, so we kicked off with Children of Men, and <laughs> and I think the way we agreed was that uh, on the odd episodes, um, you were going to take creative control on the picks and everything else, and you said I get to pick the the even ones. Yes. I think was the agreement. So you got something so do, really heady for us next week, don't you? I do. Um, and again, it derives from a conversation that we had one night um, with me sitting down watching a movie with the family that I barely remember. And as you and I are exchanging uh, a lot of texts, I thought, well, my number two pick um, actually has a lot of thematic uh, elements to Children of Men. Um, but I think it treats it a little bit different. Um, and it is definitely going to be an entirely different conversation than what we had uh, right now. So the second movie we are going to tackle is Coneheads. Dan Aykroyd. France. We come from France. That's all we I remember from, from that movie. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I get to watch it again and have, have a reason to, because I remember the cast being ridiculous. Um, yeah. So here, here we go. Children of Men to Coneheads. Yes, and um, it should be a very interesting uh, discussion because as we were talking about, um, you know, this was a 1993 film. It comes from the Saturday Night Live studio. When you go and look at everybody who starred in this thing, it is pretty much every major comedian or somebody who was getting their start in the early 90s showed up in this film. But um, 
it also, uh, probably within the last uh, five, ten years, has gotten a little bit of notoriety because dun, 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 it, it kind of tackles immigration. immigration a little bit. Yeah, so <laughs> not that we have a um, political agenda. Yeah, no, do we have an agenda that we're trying to get? No, out? we don't. No. We don't. We're not saying anything. Um, but I just think it's interesting to kind of take uh, children to men, have a very good conversation about that, um, and then turn around and talk about a film that um, – you know, when I saw it back in 93, I, I, I thought it was kind of funny. Um, but watching it now, um, well, you know what? More on what I think about yeah. it next week. Yeah. So, Brad, you want to go through all the details? Um, because I'm I'm very curious on anybody else's thoughts on Children of Men. I hope you, you've watched it. And uh, I, I'd like to hear everybody else's take on some of the questions that we asked and see if we um, got something wrong or if you have a different interpretation on some of the things we brought up. Yeah. So if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's um, at not a bomb, not a bomb pod. Um, and then our email address would be not a bomb pod at gmail.com. Um, and again, we just launched our site um, last week, obviously because our feeds are all up. So you can find us all over the internet, all of your favorites, uh, podcasts, uh, aggregators, um, iTunes, or I guess it's called Apple Apple Podcasts now. It's not called iTunes anymore. Um, you know, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, we're all over the place. So you can find us. Um, we hope everyone enjoys kind of Joy and I bring to light some of this, some of these films that we hope um, can kind of maybe catch a second leg. Now, obviously, we're not going to bring millions of dollars back to, to Children of Men, but, you know, if five or six people say, Hey, you're right. Then that's all I really need. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. I mean, if at the end of the day run into one person who said, Hey, I checked out children of men and it's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I, I would be very happy. And also we are kind of throwing around. So I know you hinted at this set at this at first, but we did a, a podcast called movie matchup. Um, we had kind of two shows <laughs> many uh, years ago. Yes. God, uh, <laughs> You and Charlie, our buddy, did one that was kind of a normal, hey, um, new release to kind of another, I guess, mainstream film and compared them to see which one was, was, you know, better. We did one with a little bit, you know, higher brow um, (laughs) called the movie matchup, The Pretension. Um, Your inability to delete anything has brought to light that we have all those episodes. Um, We're still trying to figure out what we want to do with them. Um, you know, we, we've got one loaded up. Yeah, right? we so do. If you, if you want to hear what, um, Brad and Troy, uh, were like, what, nine, nine, ten years ago. Yeah, I, I, I forget what the original forever. air date. I think it was 2012 maybe, or maybe oh, it was wait, 11. Okay. Yeah. I, I think who knows, yeah. but, um, <laughs> I've had fun going back and, and listening to them. And, um, I, I think you'll find we haven't changed too much, I guess. No, maybe. no. Good, bad. Yeah. yeah. No. Even though, like, I've had gotten married and had kids between that time period, so, but I'm still... This. Yeah, my, my kids grew up. I know. <laughs> Jeez. Um, so, yeah, so we appreciate everyone listening. Um, I guess we will see everyone next week. Um, anything else you want to say, Troy? No. I, I Like I said, can't say enough. Um, I'm, I'm glad you uh, got us together so that we could just once a week talk about films and... Um, hopefully everybody enjoys the conversation. Um, I hope we didn't ramble too much <laughs> and I can't wait to talk about next week's movie. Yeah. Coneheads. Yeah. All right, everybody. 
have a good evening or morning, depending on when you're listening to this. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you.